Our Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done for through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their heart by faith. Now then... Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we or our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name for the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen land, fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read through the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I made my uh, commitment to Christ as a, as a teenager and when I trotted off to, uh, to Cardiff to college at the age of 18, I hooked up with a group of Christians called the Navigators. And absolutely none of us had cars. 
So transport anywhere was Shanks's pony, and distance largely dictated where we did church, which for me was the Heath Evangelical. In those days, I don't know what it's like now, but it was a very solemn place, um, where on special occasions, the doctor would come to visit. The doctor came to preach, and the doctor was, there was only one of them, and it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, whose name you, you may know. He was uh, Westminster Chapel uh, for a good number of years. Um, but they would hark back longingly to the days of the earlier 20th century, to the 1904 revival, uh, which was a genuine move of God, no doubt about that. And the year after the Welsh revival broke out, 1905, the following full year, there was only one recorded crime in the entirety of the Cardiff. But that move came with strings attached because they would routinely chain up the swings in the public paths, parks to stop children from breaking the Sabbath. Quote, unquote, Sabbath meaning Sunday to them. Well, I came under that influence too, and uh, as did some of my new mates. And uh, at one stage, I, I felt guilty if I washed my hair on a Sunday. So was I, A, wise and God-fearing, B, a victim of poor doctrine and woolly thinking, or C, a bit thick? And no, we're not going to have a vote. But what we are going to do is we're going to pray, so let's do that. Lord, I want to pray that you take these poor little loaves and fishes that I'm attempting to offer out, and that you'd multiply them and that your spirit would inhabit uh, these words of mine and bring your written word, Lord, to life, Lord, for us all, and that Jesus would be honoured as a result. Amen. Anyway, so the Acts 15 passage that, uh, that we've just read together goes rather like this. So a new multicultural church at Antioch gets a surprise visit from a group of Pharisees. That's the same group, of course, that Jesus clashed with, who believe Jesus is the Messiah, amazingly enough, but despite their apparent conversion, they still see circumcision, this old covenant symbol, as the doorway to salvation for Gentiles, i.e. non-Jewish male believers. So Paul and Barnabas don't take to it very well. So they lock horns with these Pharisees, but actually they, despite a bit of a ding-dong argument, doesn't resolve it. So their next move is to get an official decision um, from Jerusalem HQ which was wise because this issue with circumcision bugged Paul everywhere he went for years, for the next two or three decades. The circumcision issue is mentioned in Paul's letters to the Romans, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and a personal one to to Titus as well. So Paul and Barnabas trot off, set off, 
300 miles as a crow flies south from Antioch to Jerusalem and arriving, they're again opposed by Pharisees, possibly the same ones who went up to Antioch in the first place, who say, yes, Gentile believers are great, they're okay, but only if they're circumcised and they commit to keeping the law of Moses. That's verse 5. So there's a bit of a standoff. So in the next verse, verse 6, rather than allow a free-for-all, the apostles and the elders very sensibly meet together separately to discuss this. And it becomes the first ever church council. It's called the Jerusalem Council, not surprisingly. And Peter stands up and he retells the story of Acts 11, where he's visited the Roman Cornelius and the Holy Spirit has fallen on them before he's finished three sentences without demanding circumcision at all. So Peter very strongly sides with Paul and Barnabas and in the verse there you can see part of his his sentence is summing up was why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear no we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are in other words it's not through law keeping it's not through circumcision And finally, James, Jesus' brother, not the disciple who's already uh, been martyred by that point, adds a scriptural PS from Amos. To paraphrase, guys, this was foretold long ago. It's the joining of believing Gentiles was a hallmark of the prophesied messianic age. And we should have expected this. And lastly, he rounds off his little speech with four simple requirements. They head off back to Antioch with a decision and a letter in tow. Now, from where we stand here today, it's hard to grasp just how seismic this issue was to the early church. It was an existential threat because it could completely have derailed the early church, sucked them back into Judaism and nullified their faith in Jesus. So my question to you is, were the Pharisees just a bunch of knuckleheads or did they have any case? After all, Jesus himself said, if you can flip the the, the next slide, don't think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to complete them. So while heaven and earth last, the law will not lose a single dot or comma until its purpose is complete. And if that wasn't enough, there's this one as well. Next slide. It's a quote of Jesus. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. So should they keep the law or not? Should we? Anyone confused yet? 
So we can get absolutely no further unless we understand what the law is and to whom it applies. Laws in China don't apply in the UK. A law made by Queen Elizabeth I in 1571 won't be valid under Queen Elizabeth II here, now today, in 2019. And also, if people tend to mean different things by the law, we need to define exactly what we mean, because they do. Let's have a quick look, shall we? Next slide. Is, in, is it the Ten Commandments? So, is that the law? You remember that the first four say, love God. And the bottom six say, love your fellow human being. It's a very simple summary, but Jesus endorsed it. Is that the law? Yes, it is. But there's also the nitty-gritty detail in Leviticus, the whole book of Leviticus. I've been a Christian for, for well over 40 years, and I've only ever heard one talk on Leviticus, ever. There is a reason for that. It's 27 chapters of food and hygiene laws, marriage laws, directions for sacrificial offerings, priestly duties, instructions on temple worship, personal ethics, sexual relationships, penalties for wrongdoing, and annual festivals. Is that the law? Yes, it is. And if that wasn't enough, there's a third definition of the law as well. Because the law is often referred to as defining the first five books of the Bible, known to Jews as the Torah, uh, sometimes called the Pentateuch, if you like Greek, or the Book of Moses. There is all the same thing. The first five books referred to as the law. So what's the law? All of it. So some Christians will say... Never mind the details, just keep the Ten Commandments and then promptly exempt themselves from keeping the Sabbath laws, unless you're a Seventh-day Adventist, I guess. But that's inconsistent. And Paul has this to say, next slide. Every man who lets himself be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law that's in Galatians most of Galatians is written to deal with this subject we either keep all of it including the minor laws with guaranteed failure that Peter says none of us have ever been able to keep it going back generations or we keep none of it Now here's the punchline, which I know goes against the grain for some of us. The answer to that dilemma, do we keep all this or none of it, is we keep none of it. We keep none of Moses' law, but we do have a law to keep. Okay, that's important. Oh, is that not a contradiction, David? Well, not really. It's what we do keep is the law of Christ. You will maybe have come to that term, come across it in your reading of the New Testament. So what is the law of Christ? Well, again, there's no single definition. I'm going to give you three. They're really one. They're really one and the same. 
I think. So next slide. Here's one version. It's again from Galatians. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's Galatians 6 verse 2. And as Paul pointed out to the church of Rome, in the Romans, he said, love is the fulfilment of the law. So if you want to know how to keep the law of Christ, it's love. You love God, you love your neighbour. Everything is summed up as that. Or how about the explicit command of Jesus? There's another way of looking at it. So next slide. A new commandment I give you, says Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. Incidentally, do you not realise how heretical this was at the time? Did Moses give the commandments? No, he didn't. He was the messenger, not the originator. The originator is God. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a new one. I am giving you a new one. Get it? So it's, it's something else for Jesus to say, here, uh, this is my definition, a new commandment, love one another. Next slide. So here's the, the third look at it, if you like. Um, the New and the Old Testament often have parallels. They're designed like that. So you probably know the old saying that the new is the old revealed and the old is concealed and the new is revealed. I can't remember the exact words. But these parallels um, exist in numerous ways. And one of them is that Moses received the law of the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. Jesus gives the law from the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's a retake of the law. It's Jesus' redefinition of the law. As we've seen part of this slide before, earlier talks in Acts, but the old, course, the old law concentrates on external behaviour. Jesus takes it and he takes it inside to our internal attitude. The old one was written on tablets of stone and placed in the Ark of the Covenant. The new law is written on everyone's heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, my heart. And Jesus said, you have heard it said, where did they hear it say? Well, the law of Moses. But I say to you, And he's taking upon himself to redefine the law and does. And when he reinterprets it, not cancelling it, note, he's reinterpreting it, he deepens it. There's a little bit of confusion where Jesus said he fulfills the law. There's some rabbinic language in there. But Jesus fills it full of meaning. So they used to say, the rabbis would say, if somebody was kind of trivialising the law or whatever, they would say, you're destroying the law and you're abolishing the law. So it's kind of an exaggeration. And when Jesus said he's completing it or fulfilling it, he's filling it full of meaning. He's upgrading it. 
not to weaken it, let alone to negate it, but to strengthen it. So incidentally, the short list of instructions that follows is, relates mostly to keeping away from idolatry, either that or basic morality. So food polluted by idols, well, it's been offered to idols, keep away from it. Sexual immorality is pretty obvious, but it was also standard activity at certain pagan festivals. Meat of strangled animals uh, was also generally pagan in orange, origin, but also actually featured as one of the commands that occurred after Noah. So it's after the Noahic covenant, God says don't eat any meat with blood in it. So and blood itself, incidentally, does mean eating it, not being transfused with it, as in Jehovah's Witness standard doctrine. Well, we're coming into land. What lessons can we digest with our Sunday lunch? Well, number one, we need to be really wary of, like the Pharisees, importing our cultural prejudices into our faith, like the early Messianic Pharisees did. For example... Uh, In hindsight, it's shameful that the largely white Britain of my youth failed to welcome Caribbean Christians and basically kind of forced them to do their own thing in their own churches. What an opportunity to model the kingdom of God. What an opportunity lost. But what else might we be overlooking? Or importing. Second thing, sometimes consensus is neither right nor possible, and it wasn't right here. Society mostly encourages compromise, yes. Sometimes wisdom lies in balance and the middle ground, and give and take is the right thing to do, certainly on issues of practicality. Um, To give you a a really sort of mundane example, Judith and I, we have to compromise on holidays because if there's anywhere, if there's a pool around at all, Judith would like to be there. Uh, And that's her idea of of a really nice day um, is to spend time by the pool. Um, But me, I like exploring. So we alternate. Not necessarily it's possible to alternate styles of holiday, um, but at least one day, you know, Judith will have pool day. Um, and in the next day we'll go out and see something. So, I mean, that's pretty standard, really, isn't it? It's, um, and that sort of compromise will need to happen, even if you're royalty. But on the other hand, if Meghan says to Harry, oh, darling, I'd quite like an open marriage because I really fancy the Earl of Inner Mongolia, is Harry going to say, oh, okay, dear, as long as it's only twice a year? Hardly. Uh, Of course, I'm being deliberately silly, aren't I? But you see the point that we mustn't be tempted to compromise on issues of principle. Some things require us to take a stand. Here I am, I can do no other, to quote a martyr of the faith in this country. And be willing to be unpopular if that comes. And the trick is to discern what is genuine biblical principle and what's cultural and negotiable. How do we tell? So the Bible 
of course, is our reference manual. That's where we got to go back to, always. But culture varies itself across time and between nations. And every single generation, including ours, and every society has to work this out for itself before it hands on the baton to the next one. So it's really important that we think hard about our faith and what's an integral part of it and what we can compromise on. Um, and let's be very careful about that. And lastly, and with this I, I close, salvation comes through faith in Jesus and, and no other way. We can't earn it, to be sure. But we must live out the law of Christ, the law of love. Love one another as I have loved you. Do we? Amen.